Our scripture reading today is from Luke 1, 26 to 38. Now this is a very familiar um, scripture for all of you. So I invite you this morning to close your eyes and picture this happening in the eyes of your heart. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Debbie, for reading that passage for us and for inviting us to imagine it. It's such an important part of reading the Bible well is reading with an engaged imagination. Um, Advent, I love this season. I love the way that we anticipate, the way we count down, the way we sing things that are familiar, songs that are familiar, things that we've grown up with, words that, that uh, just sort of have a residence in our hearts uh, and, we, and we get them out uh, during this particular season of the year in ways that we don't at other times. <clears throat> I love the story of Christmas in the Bible the details, the, the, the people, the characters, the animals, the politics, all of that stuff that's wrapped up in here. Uh, I, I told this story before, but it, but it bears repeating. So I'm going to tell you a story about when I was in fourth grade. I'm going to tell you a story about a Tuesday in fourth grade. So it's a Tuesday. I'm in fourth grade at Tipton, in Tipton, Indiana at Lincoln Elementary School. And there's a, uh, there's a bully in my class. And he was a popular kid. He was a tough kid. And one day, we were in the uh, water fountain line. You remember those? And he comes up to me and he tells me on this Tuesday 
that he's gonna beat me up at recess on Friday. That's three, four days away, depending on how you count the days. And so every time I see him, from that Tuesday on till Friday, he reminds me that he's going to beat me up at recess on Friday. And his friends remind me. My friends remind me. I've never been in a fight in my life. I've never been in a fight really ever. That's just kind of how I am. And I didn't plan on being in this fight either. But boys in my town lived by a particular code of honor. And I knew that I had to show up for the fight. I didn't have to fight. I just had to show up for the fight. To hide from it would be unacceptably dishonorable. And yet to fight back was just as unthinkable as anything for me. And so I went through the week from Tuesday to Friday just presuming that on Friday I was just going to get the tar beat out of me by this bully on the playground. And so for the rest of the week, he just ruled my mind. He ruled not just the playground, but every waking minute. He was living rent-free in my head, as they say. And he held the keys to my future. He was sort of in control of the remaining opportunities of joy that I would experience in life. And so you can picture him kind of holding court on the playground over by the swings, sneering in my general direction as I am across the playground on the other side in the monkey bars doing hard time pacing my cage. That's the image I want you to have. And then Friday morning came. And I'm getting ready for school. And as I'm getting ready for school, I'm stone cold, I'm serious. I've just, because I know what's coming. If you know me at all, I'm very readable. Like if I'm going through something, if I'm feeling something deeply, if you know me, you know it. Sometimes you can even figure out what's going on. But I I, I have a hard time putting on a face that's not somehow related to what's actually going on inside of me. When a mom sees that face, she knows. And my mom saw it. She saw me getting ready for school. She saw that there was something going on in me. And she said, you okay? And uh, pulled myself together as best as I could. And I told her that I was fine. And a single tear rolls down my cheek. And she says, what's wrong? And I said, I'm fine. And you wouldn't understand anyway. And so she sat me down and she pried it out of me. And I told her about my bully. And I told her about the beating that I was going to take at recess that day. And then I told her, you must let me do this. Do not interfere. And I made her promise me. I made her promise. I said, listen, (laughs) Something, this is me as a 49-year-old paraphrasing what I said to my mom in fourth grade. But it was to the effect of, listen, a fourth grade boy only has so much capital and so much honor to work with. And if I hide from this, it's going to drain it all away and it'll be worse than getting beat up on the playground. Promise me that you're not going to interfere. And she promised. 
And all day leading up to recess, my bully was there and he's sneering at me. And I'm dreading the end. And I'm feeling a need for rescue and I'm also just certain that one is not going to come. And then about five minutes before recess, Principal Gordon called both of us down to his office. And he sat us down and he leveled a stern gaze at my Goliath. And he said to him, and he pointed his finger at him when he said it. I'll tell you why that's important in a second. But he said, you better not lay a hand on Russell today. I was Russell back then. You hear me? Now, Mr. Gordon was missing top section of his index finger. And so when he pointed his finger at you, it was terrifying. (laughs) And so he points most of a finger at this bully and says, you better not lay a hand on him, you hear me. And that bully shrunk back in fear and swore obedience. For three days, I had lived under the constant fear of this kid's threat. And the entire time I had forgotten that I had a principal and a mother. It only occurred to me years later, because I can be slow on the uptake, that mom called the principal. It didn't occur to me until years later. I had one of those moments where I thought, wait a minute. How did he? Oh. You know what she did? She interceded for me by betraying her promise to uphold my commitment to a world devoid of mercy. A world that was as big as my trouble and no bigger. Where my only option was to just take it on the chin. She interfered with that world. My world was broken And I was preparing myself, I was stealing myself to live in it and take whatever punishment it wanted to give. And my principal rescued me. I didn't ask him to, but he just did it. Why? He did it because that school was his. It wasn't that bully's school. And it wasn't my school. It was his school. And he rescued me also because I have a mother. And I am my mother's son. And I was loved by somebody on that day who had the power and had the perspective and had the reach to deliver me from evil. It's a metaphor, folks. And it's a true story. God intervenes even when we don't ask him to. God helps us see things that we didn't know to look for. God speaks to people who aren't looking for him. Mary is living her life. She's not waiting for God to come. She's probably a teenager when this happened. When she got engaged to Joseph, they lived in this out-of-the-way town called Nazareth. We think of Nazareth as one of the big cities in Israel because it shows up in stories like this, but believe me, it's, it's, it's not. It's not. It would be a little bit like Soddy Daisy, Tennessee, if you've ever heard of it. 
Joseph descended from King David. He was in that line, but he was a carpenter. He was a skilled tradesman. We don't really know where Mary was from. And we know that their lives were simple. We know that they worked hard toward a life that they could live out together as husband and wife, maybe have a family if the Lord would give them that. And all of this is just interrupted. When the Lord shows up, an angel of the Lord shows up and tells Mary something that just dramatically changes the course of her life and the whole of history. And the message that the angel brings, which is the message of Christmas, really comes in in three parts. The first part of that message is, I know your deepest, greatest need. The second part of that message is, and I'm meeting your deepest, greatest need. And the third part of that message is, the way I am meeting it is effective. So let's walk through that. The angel tells Mary that she has found favor with God and that she should not fear. God's interacting with people, and he knows them. We could read this and just say, okay, so God knew Mary, but but think about it for a second. The creator of heaven and earth knows her. So forget the plastic nativity, Mary, and imagine a real girl who discovers that the Lord of creation, the Lord of all, loves her, that he knows her, and that he is involved in the details of her life. What did he know of Mary? Because what he knows of Mary, he knows of us. Just on a cursory reading of the text, there's there's six things that God knows about Mary. He knows her name. It says in verse 30, names are intimate things, right? If we address each other by name, it ratchets up the intimacy of the conversation. If 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 you say to me, hey, I'll say hey. But if you say, hey, Russ, I'm going to kind of check my response a little bit and try to raise it to the level of, you know what I'm saying? He knows her name. It's an intimate thing to call each other by name. He knows her fear. This is also, he says, in the, in the greeting, do not be afraid, Mary. What are your fears? What are the things that you're afraid of? The angel doesn't shame Mary for having fear. He meets her in it. He knows her confusion. She says, how can this be? And what I love about this is God is not impatient with Mary, and he's not impatient with her inability to understand his ways. And that's a gift, because we don't understand his ways. What doesn't make sense to you that God is doing right now? You can ask him about it. How can this be? He knows her future. He knows yours too. He says, you, he says to her, you will have a son. God's will doesn't require our capacity to understand it. He tells her, you're going to have a son. She doesn't understand how this is going to happen. But that doesn't change what he's going to do. He's going to do what he's going to do. He's writing his story on Mary's life. He has her. And the last thing that we see that he knows is he knows the brokenness of this world. He knows the depth of it. What this world needs is a heavenly king. 
What we need is a healing king. And you see the brokenness too. What, what breaks your heart living in the world that we live in? What brokenness have you accepted as just the way that it is? And that's just what we have to get used to. It's, the, it's what we have to take on the chin. What the angel reveals to Mary is that God knows Mary. He knows her heart. He knows her fears. He knows her world. He knows the brokenness of the world. But at Christmas, we remember that he hasn't just come to tell her that he knows her deepest, greatest need. He's giving her a gift, and he's giving us a gift. He's responding to that deepest, greatest need. He's meeting it, which is the second part of the message. I know your deepest, greatest need, and I'm meeting it. God doesn't just know what we need. Christmas is the story of him acting to meet it perfectly, and it's a really elaborate thing that he does here. Try to think of the deepest need that you've got, the thing that just has you unsettled. Here's how God addresses the brokenness of the world. Mary would conceive a son to be named Jesus, and he would be called the Son of God. And the virgin would have a son given to her. God's already chosen his name. Matthew's gospel tells us that the name Jesus means salvation. How does God meet our deepest, greatest needs? With a baby. And John the Baptist talks about this baby. He calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He speaks to the purpose of this baby. And that statement, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is Easter and a clause. The author of Hebrews calls him our great high priest, our savior, the Lamb of God. Christmas is indelibly, inseparably joined to Easter. The reason we celebrate the birth of this baby is because he came to lay that life down. One of the most astounding things about this angelic visit is how Mary moves from a posture of uncertainty and confusion to acceptance. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How does Mary know that God can perform this miracle of a virgin birth? He points her to another miracle birth. And when you look at the story of God's covenant relationship with his people, it's filled with miracle births. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca. You have so many stories of barren wives and the Lord opening a womb and sometimes doing it in old age as with Sarah and then you see it again here. How does Mary know God can perform this miracle? It's because he points to this other miracle birth, her cousin Elizabeth, who's carrying in her womb John the Baptist. She's six months along. It's astounding because the way God means to respond to Mary's need and ours is on the surface impossible. A virgin will bear a child. That's not good news if it's not possible, right? It's only good news if it can happen. And virgins don't have children. 
And so the Lord shows Mary this other miracle baby who's already on the way, another in a long line of improbable, even miraculous births in the story. Her older barren cousin, Elizabeth, is pregnant. I know your deepest, greatest need, and I'm meeting it. Third, the way I'm meeting it works. It's effective. God doesn't just give us a cure, he gives us a king. This battle between light and darkness that we feel is just kind of this back and forth, back and forth, is not going to sway back and forth. The son of God, Jesus, will reign over God's people. And he will reign as their king. And he will do this by keeping the covenant promise that God the Father made to people centuries earlier. We read about this in verses 32 and 33. He says, he will be the, the angel says, he will be the great, he will be great and be called the Son of God, the Most High. And the Lord will give to him, listen, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The angel of the Lord is tying this message back to God's covenant promises to his people. He is going to do this and nothing can stop him. And this encounter is an intimate moment between the Lord and his daughter, Mary. And Mary could be anyone. She could be anyone who believes. She's like us and that this is happening, but she understands so little in comparison to what the angel is telling her, and yet God is working. Whether we fully understand what God is doing in us or through us, if God speaks to us, it means he's with us. He's our Emmanuel. And the word from God to Mary left her with something. It left her with presence in her life. Jesus, the word, became flesh. And the message to Mary and to us, essentially, is God knows what the world needs to be healed. And he's healing it. He's intervening. He knows our deepest need. He's meeting it in Christ. The way he's meeting it works. It's effective. And in this process, he changes us. He draws us to himself into deeper humility, into deeper peace, into graciousness. And then he makes us advocates for peace in this world as his witnesses here. When my bully announced that he was going to pummel me, <laughs> I had a deep, great need for rescue. But I had no idea how that need would be met. What I thought was I thought rescue will look like taking the beating and then getting on the other side of that terror. Take the hit, survive somehow, and live to take another beating later. But I had an advocate. I had a savior who knew my need and met it in a way that was effective. Had I known or even remembered, I could have gone to Mr. Gordon for help. And if I had faith, I could have trusted that his help would be sufficient. But I was a kid. I was just a kid. And I was a kid living by a code that boys in our town lived by. And that was, this is a world where you just take the hit. 
We have a savior who sees not only our greatest need, but he sees us and he knows our names and he knows our fears and he knows our confusion and he intervenes perfectly, effectively, mercifully, lovingly. So even when we don't understand what is happening in us, when we don't understand what's happening around us, I pray that the Lord would draw from us the response that he drew from Mary. May it be done to me as you have willed. And may our celebration of Christmas be marked by our worship of him, Jesus, our Savior. Let me pray. Father, you redeem things like a bully in fourth grade threatening me and that story being of help 40 years later to understand that the world that you give us and the world that you're calling us to as your people is not a world where we just take the hit but it's a world where you took the hit where you came in the flesh, a birth we celebrate during Advent for the purpose of healing us, meeting our deepest, greatest need, restoring us to our creator through living in our place, dying in our place, defeating the power of death in our place and giving us life in your name forever. Lord, we see through a glass dimly right now. Even in thinking about the the the, the, the magnificence of what you've accomplished through your birth we only see in part and yet Lord you have your way and you work in this world and we thank you for it help us in our unbelief help us to believe that you love us more deeply than we could ever imagine and we thank you for your kindness to us and for your friendship it's in your name Jesus we pray amen